There's got to be some effort involved here. There has to be some intentionality. It's the same with your walk, your Christian life, my walk, my Christian life. If we're just sitting back on the sidelines, just being spectators on Sunday morning, just listening and just observing, but we're never in the game. We're never in the harvest process. It's going to be really tough to get that down to the granary to get the big fat check, isn't it? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you in another opportunity here today to gather as believers. Father, I pray that we never take this for granted. But I pray that we hunger, desire, thirst to always be together to corporately be in your presence. So God, would you just speak? Would you speak in a a mighty, powerful way to our hearts today? Father, I pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as we feast on the Word, as we mind the Scriptures, Holy Spirit, will you do the work only you can do? Don't allow us to resist. Don't allow us to rebel. But God, I pray there would be Again, open hearts in such a way that we would just renounce everything of the flesh. We'd renounce everything of the enemy. And just simply say, Lord, awaken my soul today. So God, would you do that work? Move me out of the way so that we just hear from you. Afresh and new. Do something today, God. Do something that would stir us, that would motivate us, that would move us closer to you as we abide in the true vine, Jesus. And God, we're going to give you all the praise, give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Take that Bible. Let's turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Looking at verses 17 through 18 today, and here's what the Word says as we think about this title, you'll see it there in your notes, of a question, got peace, Yeah, I know it's real original, got milk, get godly wisdom. So the question today is, do you have peace, truthfully? P-E-A-C-E, do you have it? Do you want it? Do you know what it is? What's it look like? If, if you're wanting it, do you even know what it looks like? So often in life, we, we want something, but we really don't even know what it is. Do you have peace today? Well, let's get some wisdom. Here it is. James 3, 17 says it like this. But the wisdom from above, this is the ESV translation, is first, what church? Pure. Then, here's the list, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness, don't miss that, is sown. How? In peace. By who? By those who make peace. Look at verse 14 of that same James 3, as we lead into this with the springboard from last week, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Pause there for a moment. Do you see the connection from that statement to verse 17? This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is what, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And then verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. 
Here again, James is saying, look, if you want to understand why your life is in chaos, this is the culprit. The culprit is very simple. It's a selfish heart that rears its ugly head. And selfishness and bitter jealousy go hand in hand. Any conflict that you see going on at your home, your business, your ball team, your church, typically is rooted in some sort of selfishness that that wants, 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 craves, 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 can't get enough of, never satisfied. And what happens, we react through the, the tongue, don't we? We begin to talk. The gums begin to flap. And we start saying stuff because what's in our heart is so deep, it's so embedded, it's so ingrained, it's so entwined. And James says, you can't have this. That's why he goes into verse 17 and says, look, but the wisdom from above. So we have a wisdom from below, earthly, and we got a wisdom from above, which is all about the Lord's glory, His praise, His holiness. He says, first, the first thing it is out of the gate of these eight characteristics is that it's pure. It's pure. The wisdom from above, the the wisdom from the Lord is pure. It's not a wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, I can assure you. It's just the opposite, that in the flesh, in the self-life, in the the life that's me planet, me universe, me monster, that we all deal with on some level, the reality is this, there is wisdom from above, and it's all about the purity of who God is. Like when we say God is holy, do we even understand what that even means? Like when God is holy, He is holy, we are saying, God, You are so sacred, You are so revered, that there is none like You. There is not a hint of sin or unholiness in You. God, You're it, and we are gripped. We are moved by who You are. You will never see a revival and awakening and a reformation take place unless the people involved in the revival, the awakening and the reformation, begin to see God for who He is. Because when you and I begin to see God for who He is, you and I begin to see us for who we really are. And when you and I see us for who we really are, we begin to see how direly we need Jesus. Amen? And yet the challenge is, we got this me monster that just lives and craves and wants to be fed. James says, here's the wisdom. Number one, it's pure. It's pure. What's that even mean? What does pure look like in your life? Often we think of purity, and what do we think of when we say that there's purity? Well, many times we think of a a sexual connotation. That's a good thing, by the way, to be pure in that area of life. That's a biblical command. But it goes much deeper than just that because when you look in your Bible and it says pure, it means this, to to be sacred, to be free from fault. Our God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have this great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. And as we come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews tells us, we go to Him who has no sin. Amen? Like, I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what people write about. I don't care the books that are out there. I don't even care what the politicians say about my Jesus. I know this, according to the Word of God that I stand on, my Jesus is perfect. Because if He's not perfect, and you are basing your salvation on Him, you don't have salvation. You ever thought about that? If he's not perfect and you're basing your salvation on him, you don't have salvation. The whole point of salvation is to be rescued. That's what it means. To be saved is to be rescued. So when you tell someone that I got saved, A, if it was real, praise God. Amen. But when you're saying I got saved, what you're really saying is this, I got rescued. That brings a whole new thought process to this thing of getting saved, air quotes, doesn't it? It goes from being a formality and a bunch of checking boxes to my life has been changed. Like my life's no longer my own. And that's what he's saying here. James is saying, look, your life is going to be pure. 
doesn't mean perfect, but you rest in the one who is perfect. I can't live a perfect life. You can't live a perfect life, but we rest in the one who's perfect. We have to start with the premise that Jesus is perfect and he is perfect. Amen. He is holy. He's just. He's undefiled. He's the sin bearer who took our place and he did so as the spotless lamb. Look what the word says in verse 17. I love this. So James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. We talked about that. Then, so first pure must be really important why he put that first. Then, peaceable. Loving peace is what that means. Do you love peace? Like, do you love to be in harmony? Do you seek to be in harmony at home, at at your business, ball team, church? Do you seek to love peace? Gentle means fair or mild. Open to reason. Compliant. Compliant not in a being a doormat. It really means this, to obey easily. Now, again, them are fighting words, amen? Because it's not always easy to obey if we're honest, right? That rebellious streak that we all have, we come out of the womb kicking and screaming. We live through life kicking and screaming, don't we? We just never get over the kicking and screaming thing. We'll put on the church jacket. We'll put on the church smile. But man, we got something in us. All of us do, don't we? We want to rebel. We want to kick and scream. We want to kick, kick, and kick even more. Gentle, fair, mild, open to reason, compliant, easily obeying, full of mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is simply this. It's kindness and a gentleness, if you will, that is extended to someone in their time of desperation. You might hear it this way, that mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's an amen moment in the Christian walk, amen? Aren't you glad that we don't get what we deserve? I've heard people say this before. They'll say, well, this is not fair. This is not fair. This isn't the plan. Let me tell you what's not fair. I'm going to tell you what's not fair. When Jesus Christ went to a cruel Roman cross and got executed and got tortured and got scourged and whipped and beaten and mocked and spit upon and he did nothing wrong, that's not fair. And yet, it's all about, again, the self-life, though, isn't it? Because we look at what's fair and not through a self-lens. And James says, where you have the selfishness and the bitter jealousy, that antagonism, that undermining, that sowing discord, you're going to have confusion, you're going to have utter chaos, Every vile practice will be in that entity when you allow those behaviors in. The whole point is that when you're a true Christ follower, we don't act like that. We don't behave like that. We see those behaviors for what they are, and we kill them. We go, I can't be selfish. This is killing me. It's killing my marriage. It's killing my family. It's killing my ball team. It's killing my business. It's killing my church. I can't allow the selfishness to no longer kill those things, I need to kill it. Imagine if each one of us did that today. If each one of us said, I'm going to kill the selfishness that's in my heart. The bitter jealousy, the I got to have, I got to have. I get so bent out of shape and I just throw that pity party and I go Chernobyl and blow a gasket and The nuclear meltdown when I hear about other people getting what I want, you become enslaved to it. It's it's like a high, so to speak, that you can't get rid of because it's so intoxicating. I want, I want, I want. James says, no, you gotta be, you gotta have wisdom from above. It's pure, it's peaceable. It's gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits. Obedience is what he's saying. It's impartial, without ambiguity, without uncertainty. It's sincere. It's without hypocrisy. When we talk and we, we say something, it's sincere. Boy, I'm glad that you got the job that I really wanted. And it's sincere. Well, that's going to bless that person's life. And it's truthfully going to enrich yours because now 
you're saying to that person out of love, out of humility, out of truth, that I'm glad for you. It's sincere without hypocrisy. And now what's happening in your own heart as the Holy Spirit is cultivating and building in you those godly fruits. He's building in you. He's just pruning in a good way in you and me as we do that. We now, here's what happens. We now see that our hope and our identity and our security is not based on what we do. It's based on whose we are. And when you and I begin to see that when we are Christ and we've given him everything, our life is no longer our own. We say, I'm going to die daily. I'm going to crucify the flesh. I'm going to be this man. I'm going to be this woman. I'm going to be this student that says, I'm all in for Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. When you and I do that, there is total freedom. And that's where the real peace is found. So often, even as believers, we're on this merry-go-round going nowhere. Man, we'll come to church, we'll sing the songs, we'll suffer through a long sermon, we get outside, we completely forget what's even going on because the me monster takes over in the parking lot. And what do we do? We begin to tie our self-worth into everything but Jesus. He's over in the corner going, over here. I'm the one that will give you what you desire. And that's why key number one is so important. It's a simple key. But here's key number one. Write it down in your notes. The wisdom from God is pure. And this attribute, along with the others on the list, cannot be acquired by self-effort. Can't do it. Can't do it. If you are trying today to acquire the peace that you'd crave on your own. Can't do it. I mean, look at the list here. Let me read these out loud. Don't answer, but just think about how are you doing on this list? The wisdom that's from God, the wisdom that's from above. First is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits or obedience, impartial, sincere. How are we doing? Like, I don't know about you, but I can't get past number one. Like, I'm struggling being pure. Forget the rest of the list. Like, have you guys ever studied the Ten Commandments? You guys know about those things? There were ten of them in the Old Testament. That's what they call the Ten Commandments. And the first one goes something like what? There shall be no other gods before me, right? Do you understand this? That if you and I get number one right, guess what happens to the remaining nine? They just take care of themselves. Like when I put God first and everything I do, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to commit adultery. I mean, you just go down the list. And when I put him first, when you put him first, not just lip service, not just being a sayer, but being an obeyer, when you and I do that, the remaining nine take care of themselves. Do you understand this in this list of eight? That when you and I pursue purity in God that only comes from him by the power of the Holy Spirit, the remaining seven take care of themselves. But here's what we typically do. We do everything backwards, don't we? We go, okay, so, because we've been trained in the West, you know, that Jesus is just an add-on to your life. He's just kind of something that you, you bring into the equation. You know, he kind of takes his pixie dust and, and blesses everything, blesses your plans, and then, okay, here we go around town, Right? Instead of, Jesus, you are my life. I haven't just accepted you, because we can accept a lot of things. When I say to people, tell me about when you surrendered your life to Jesus. Boy, a lot of times you'll get deer in the headlights looks. Because people go, surrendered? Okay, I've never done that. I raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, got dunked, but my life's still my own. I've never given my life to Jesus. And yet the Bible screams that the life in Christ is the surrendered life. That's what it screams. We're not looking to create false converts. We're not looking to create backsliders. We're looking to create disciples that make disciples that give God glory in everything they do. I was thinking about that this past week and just marinating on it. And I thought of Romans. Write this down, Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8, 26 through 27, just powerful text because, again, key number one, let me read that and then we'll launch into Romans. So key number one, the wisdom from God is pure, and this attribute, along with the others, the other seven, cannot be acquired by self-effort. Don't try this at home. You can't do it. Look what Romans says about that thought. Romans 8, 26 or 27, likewise, the Spirit, capital S, helps us in our weaknesses. Now, pause there for a moment. Is anyone besides me ever weak? Not just physically. I'm talking spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I mean, anyone else weak? Like, it's easy to be weak, isn't it? Do you understand this, that when When we say that we're weak, that we can emphatically with a declaration today say that when I'm weak, he is strong. See, that's part of the lie. The lie is this, you don't need help. The lie is this, you're self-sufficient. The lie is this, you got this all buttoned up on your own. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I need all the help I can get. People all the time say, can I pray for you? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? You're going to ask me if you can pray for me. But you pray for me wherever you are. You stop. You pray for me all day long. Tell your boss, I said it was okay if you pray for me all day long. Amen? I need all the prayer I can get. Don't buy the lie that you can somehow live this Christian life on your own. Because Paul says it right there. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Then what does he say there in 26? He goes on through 27. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, capital S, intercedes Himself. He intercedes. Who? For who? For us. How does He do it? With groanings. Are you getting the picture here? With groanings that are too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts, He knows what is the mind of the Spirit, capital S. Why? Because the Spirit, capital S, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you catch that, church? That's powerful there. That's powerful scripture that you need, I need in my life. That when, not if, but when you go through the trial, when you are weak, the Holy Spirit who resides within you, the true believer, He is actually interceding on your behalf. That's an amen moment, isn't it? I mean, you're struggling. You don't know what's going on. The bottom is falling out. Your life is unraveling at the seams by the second. And as you, the true believer, live that life, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit is on the scene. He doesn't take recess, doesn't take a nap, doesn't go on a break. He's there 24-7, 365, interceding on your behalf. I don't know about you. That greatly encourages me. I made a note here. I wrote down two words. Write them down somewhere. Root and fruit. They kind of rhyme. Root and fruit. When we read the text here, we're going to see here that there is a root. There's always a root cause in our sin. Always. And there's always fruit that should be born from a true believer's life. There's also a root to the fruit that's being born. And so I made this, this note here. I asked it in the form of a question. And I said this, why am I not producing good, godly fruit? Ask yourself that question if that's you. If you are not producing habitually good, godly fruit, ask yourself that question, why am I not? Like, let's ask the question, let's get to the root of it. We see the byproduct of it, disobedience, not living for the Lord in a myriad of areas of our lives, but why? There's always a why. Go upstream and ask yourself, why? Why are you, why am I not producing good, godly fruit? Well, I came to this conclusion, it's all about what we are dialed into. It's what we're missile locked on. You could say it like this, where my treasure is, there my heart will also be. So ask the question this way, what is your treasure? Like, what's your treasure? Like, what do you treasure most in life? What is it you say, man, I have to have this. Like, if I don't have this, my life cannot go on. I have to have this because I treasure it. What is it you treasure in life? 
Family? It's a good thing, by the way, man. I love my family. Possessions? Having men and women and those around us give us applause and acclaim? On and on we could ask these questions. What is it we treasure in life? Because what we are mislocked on, what we're dialed into, what we treasure is then going to be a direct root of now how we act. If you treasure Christ, if today Christ is your all in all, like if today you're saying, look, I'm thinking about this in my life, I'm not perfect, I struggle, but I know this, that I treasure Christ and His glory and the renown of His name above anything else. When you and I begin to live in that vein, all the selfishness and all the challenges of the mean monster will begin to fade away. But if Jesus is not our treasure, but He's just that add-on to our life, the fuzzy dice around our mirror, if that's really what He is, and just get honest and open about it, we will then begin to see the root of our challenges. Root and fruit. Think about fruit for a moment because our final verse, verse 18, says it like this. And a harvest of righteousness is sown. Okay, don't miss that. So we got a heart of righteousness is sown. How? Is sown in peace by those who do what? Who make peace. So a heart of righteousness is sown, is sown how? In peace by those who make peace. You could say it like this, when the word harvest is used there, you could give the definition of it's a result, it's an effect of. So for you that have a farming background or you know a farmer, typically what happens is they go into a field and they till the land, and they plant some seed, and they pray for rain, amen? I mean, they pray hard, and they want the Lord to open the windows of heaven when it rains. And then if it's corn, boy, the corn, it begins to grow, and what happens through that? The corn grows, and they break out a big green combine, and the combine goes through the field, and it takes off the, the stalk, and it takes the, the corn, and it puts it there in the bin in the back of the combine. They pull up a grain truck next to it. They put the corn from the combine into the grain truck. Grain truck drives down to the granary. They toss it off to the granary, and they get a big fat check. Amen? That's all about the harvest process. What would happen? What would happen for you that are farmers or no one or like farming? What would happen if the farmer was time to plant the seeds and the farmer... You know, he just says, okay, time to plant the seeds. And so he goes out and buys the seeds, and he buys a whole bunch of them. I mean, a bunch of seeds. And he buys them, and he just puts them there in the warehouse on his farm, and they're there, and he goes home, and for the next six months, he just, every day, just sits in his lazy boy recliner uh, watching ESPN. That's going to be a challenge regarding the harvest, Amen. I mean, unless we see a miracle upon miracles, that's going to be a real challenge. There's got to be some effort involved here. There has to be some intentionality. It's the same with your walk, your Christian life, my walk, my Christian life. If we are just sitting back on the sidelines, just being spectators on Sunday morning, just listening and just observing, but we're never in the game. We're never in the harvest process. It's going to be really tough to get that down to the granary to get the big fat check, isn't it? There is effort involved. And he's saying, look, as you with effort pursue the Lord and pursue His wisdom, the purity of it all, and you get number one right and the remaining seven take care of themselves, you're not going to operate in the flesh. You're not going to get into the sinful, demonic, earthly, unspiritual of the self-life. You're going to get out of that. And so many believers that have come across in years of ministry are entangled in the self-life. They just can't get out of it. I mean, they're at every church function. They serve in the church, but they are enslaved to the enemy of self. It is a deadly beast. Unless you and I go to war against the enemy of self, the enemy of self will continue to go to war against us. 
Because when we try to manage sin, we always know this, that the result is that the sin will manage us. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. There's a harvest going on. We are harvesting something. We are all harvesting something. What are you harvesting today? What am I harvesting? Well, here the Word says this, to harvest righteousness. What's that? What is righteousness? Do we even know? Well, just think about this. So righteousness is Jesus. A righteousness is being acceptable to God. It's perfection. You could say it like this in a very primal sense, morally correct, in a very primal sense, justifiable. But it really goes back to that condition that is acceptable to God. So if God is looking for you to be righteous, for me to be righteous, how do we get there? Is going to church every Sunday morning or a couple Sundays a month, is that, does that fill up the, the righteous meter? Is that what this is all about? Righteousness is all about a direct relationship through Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Paul said it like this. In Philippians, he said it like this. He said, not having my own righteousness, but being found in Christ. Like on that day, on that day, I'm not going to be able to stand in front of Jesus on that day and say, look, you know, I was a pastor and I was an evangelist and I did this and I did that. He's going to go golf clap. Great, fantastic. Where were you when I created the world, right? No, the only thing I'm going to be able to plead is the righteousness of Jesus. That's it. And that's going to be more than enough. No add-ons. Nothing else is needed. Only the righteous royal blood of Jesus. And it's so easy to begin to add things on in this Christian walk. See, it's sewn, not with a needle and a piece of thread, but it's sewn, it's planted, it's scattered by those who make, by those who produce peace. I asked you earlier, what is peace? Do you have that definition right now in your mind? What is peace? We all crave it. We all hunger for it. We all desire it. What is peace? You could say peace is this from a biblical worldview. It's the tranquil state of the soul. We could dumb it down even more, make it more elementary. It's the contented state of the soul, regardless of what's going on in your world. There's a peace there that... There's a rest. There's a, okay, I'm not stressed. I'm not anxious. I'm just, I'm resting. And and this again is where it goes off the rails because Jesus tells us this in John 15, that I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. See, the challenge in the Christian walk often is we forget that our job is not to bear the fruit. Our job is to remain in Jesus. Are we getting this? Because when we get this and we get number one and say, I'm just going to rest in Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to be anchored to him, the true vine. Everything else begins to take care of itself. The thought really hit me in key number two. And here it is, key number two, write it down. Peacemaking can yield a righteous harvest in your home. Business, ball team, and church. Let me say that again. And by the way, I intentionally use the word can. I'm going to explain that here in just a moment. Number two, key number two, write it down. Peacemaking can yield 
a righteous harvest in your home, business, ball team, and church? Why didn't we put in there that peacemaking will? You folks ever seen two countries that are about to go to war? Typically, we understand this, that there are at least two parties involved, and those two parties have to come to the conclusion that we want peace. If just one party says, I want peace, and the other party says, I don't want peace, we don't have a peace treaty. We can say we do. We can have a piece of paper. We can even sign it. But the reality is there's not a pursuit of peace. It's the same in our walk with other people as we live this life. You can't make me have peace, and I can't make you have peace. Peace is only found in Jesus. We will never have peace in our homes, businesses, ball teams, and churches unless Jesus becomes front and center in all of those entities. You, you will not have it. It's impossible. You can't have it. I was thinking of, of Romans 5.1. Write that down, Romans 5.1. Paul says it like this, Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous, there it is, since we've been justified by what? By our good works? Is that what that says? By what, church? By faith. Since we've been justified by faith, what's the byproduct? What is the outflow? What are the ramifications of our being declared righteous by faith? What does it say right there in the verse? Here it is. We have peace with God through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. So many people I've come across over the years, hunger, thirst, desire, whatever word you want to use, they are craving, they are craving to have the peace of God. Like you'd have to be an absolute idiot to not want the peace of God. But you will never have the peace of God unless you first have peace with God. Don't miss this. You will never have the peace of God unless you first have peace with God. How do you get peace with God? Not a trick question. What's his name? Good job, class. Jesus. You will never have it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. For all you teachers, definite article. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. There is only one way to the Father, and it's through the Prince of Peace, whose name is Jesus Christ. True peace is only found through the Prince of Peace. Think again about this thought about we can have peace. Write down Romans 12, 8. This is an important verse you're probably needing at your family reunion this afternoon. Because we know how easy those things usually go. Romans 12, 8. If possible, Paul writes, if possible, so far as it depends on who? Your spouse? Oh, I get it. The guy sitting next to you in your pew. That's what it is, right? So far as it depends on who? You. If possible, so far as it depends on you, what's the text say? Live peaceably with who? Some people? No, with all. Are we getting this? I can only... Focus on changing by the power of the Holy Spirit one person, and that's me. I can't change you. You can't change me. We spend so much time of our earthly life trying to change other people. Well, if I can just change them and get them on track and look, pray for them. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting work of sin. But what would happen if you and I just began to focus on us in a healthy way, saying, God, I want you to change me, God. I can't do this. This is not self-help. It's not self-actualization. This is not Eastern mysticism. This is none of that garbage. This is all about Jesus. I'm an absolute wreck. I don't want to just accept you. I want you to take over my life. And when we begin to live in that vein, we will see Godly wisdom and fruit flowing through our lives. 
You know, the reality I made a note here is there are wicked people who manipulate. But you take care of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Just press into him like never before and say, I want you to change me. Change me. Help me to be all in for you. Not, not this milky toast, wishy-washy, partial committed nonsense that we see everywhere in the West regarding the American church. Man, just kind of in, floating along. Yeah, I don't really know. Man, if you did that at your workplace, you'd get fired. It's high time that the bride of Jesus Christ falls one way or the other. We're either surrendered or we're not. Because there's nowhere in between. Jesus said in Revelation 3 to the church in Laodicea that, that you're in the middle, that, that you're milky toast, you're wishy-washy, you're riding the fence, Satan owns the fence, and because of that, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Do you understand this? When he's writing to those churches, when John is writing to those churches in Revelation, and they're in Revelation 3, he's recounting Jesus knocking on the door. So often that gets used in an evangelical evangelistic verse, but you understand this? He's knocking on the door of his own church. I mean, this is like really serious. And have you thought about this? What you and I take seriously is what we're committed to seriously. What we don't take seriously is what we're not committed to seriously. And we say the most important thing is Jesus. And the question is, how committed seriously are you to Jesus? Do you really want peace? You can't buy this stuff. You can't move to the bigger house and think it's going to be waiting for you as you open the door. There it is in a box. You can't do it. So many people are trying this. And it's like you just plead with people and you plead and you almost want to shake them going, you're on a fool's errand. Unless you get all in for Jesus, you will be chasing peace the rest of your life. Never find it. So the word tells us in Proverbs, I love this, Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 12 says it like this. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root, there it is, root and fruit, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. You see that? It's the Word of God. That's what's so glorious about the Word of God. Do you ever just open the Word and, I mean, the words come off the pages. They're just slapping you in the face in a good way and your soul is getting refreshed. You guys ever done that before? I love to dive in the Word because there's so much nonsense I bear so much nonsense of the self-life. I got to get in the word. It's the mirror. It's the schoolmaster. I see my life for who I am. I see the wickedness that I struggle with. I look at the word of God and I go, I'm going to kill this. I'm going to go to war. I don't want to be a casual Christian. That's actually a contradiction in terms. Hey, I'm a casual Christian. Really? What do you think Jesus would say about that? There's no such thing as being a casual Christian. We are either in or out. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. That's why Proverbs 12.20, so 12.12 and now 12.20, says it like this, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have what? Church joy. Do you see that? There's a planning to have peace. Again, you go to the reunion. And we've all been there. Don't lie, you're in church. But you know what I'm talking about, man. You go to that reunion and you're sitting in the car. You, you got your hand on the door handle. And you're like, Lord, keep my mouth shut for the next 19 hours of this reunion. Because I'm going to say something that's not of you. Because that person who you're thinking about right now, you think's the spawn of Satan, amen? And sure enough... We, we get in front of that person and they, they begin through selfish ambition or bitter jealousy just to goad you. They're goading and here we go. Here comes the me monster and boom. It's WWE at your family reunion off the top rope with an elbow, right? I mean, it's just chaos. You got to plan this stuff. Seriously, Lord, I mean, 
for these next hours. Help me to show love and joy and peace and gentleness. Give me godly wisdom. And when they say something that's trying to get me, don't allow me to retaliate. Give me a heart that's of you. What's going to happen now to that person? But what's going to happen to you? As you are now vertically communing with the Father with godly wisdom. You say, well, what happens if I don't do this? What happens if I don't, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Because right here in Galatians, it tells us, Galatians 6, write it down, Galatians 6, 7 through 8, do not be deceived. That's my answer. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Did you catch this? Do you see this planting, harvesting theme going on here? James and now Paul to the church in Galatians. Don't you love how the word just seamlessly fits together? It's so beautiful. You, you couldn't manufacture this stuff. This is Holy Spirit inspired. That here, James is saying, look, it's sown in righteousness, a harvest. And right here, here's your harvest. If you want to live in wickedness, here's your harvest. By the way, this is very blunt, but very biblical and upfront. Here it is. If you have not given your life to Christ, here's the reality. You're on your way to hell. I'm talking about giving your life to Jesus. Not just being a good person. There's going to be a lot of good people that end up in a godless hell. You say, how do you know that? Well, Scripture tells us. Lord, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Depart from me. I never knew you. Not I don't know you now. Not we're not fist bumping and high-fiving. No, I never knew you. But I raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card. I don't know who you are. I don't even recognize you. My sheep know me and they hear my voice. We've got to be on mission for the mission because time is fleeting. Jesus is coming back. I was talking with the men yesterday, and it made me think of this thought in verse, verse 8, for the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, capital S, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. And the reality is maybe you're here today and, and maybe you're going, Man, the Holy Spirit's all up in my business right now because I don't want to live this life. I want peace. And I'm now seeing it's not in the house. It's not in the car. It's not in the bank account. It's not in the retirement. It's not in whatever seashells on the seashore. It's not there. But I know it's in Jesus. Well, if that's you today, you're in a great spot because as one man once said, failure in itself is not the issue. It's what you do next that matters. So if you failed, and right now the Holy Spirit's going, man, I'm, I'm trying to shake you, I'm trying to wake you up. The worst thing you can do is just continue in the same path. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, Right? And the Lord perhaps right now is speaking to you saying, I want you all in, like all in, like nothing holding you back. You're just holding on to Jesus because that relates, I believe, so seamlessly to the takeaway question. And here it is, takeaway question. Am I sowing peace with those around me as I daily seek God's wisdom? Just think about that. I mean, it's a simple question. Am I sowing peace? Okay, question mark, check, not a check as I daily seek God's wisdom. See, when you daily seek God's wisdom, here's the backflow on this, you'll begin to see more peace in your life. It's that simple. As you seek godly wisdom, the purity and that list of seven that follow, you are now going to see peace into your life. You're going to go through the struggle and the stress isn't going to be like it used to be. The anxiety and all that goes on in your life, it's not going to be like it used to be. Why? Because you're anchored on Jesus. And yet the challenge, as we know, is that it's a challenge because we're all pursuing one or the other. Before I read the action step, I wanted to give you one more verse. And it's Psalm 42.1. Write that down, Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for flowing streams or the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. But like, when's the last time you panted for the Lord? 
I mean, just, Lord, look, I'm a mess, but I know this, that you're the master of taking the mess and creating the message. I just pant for you. I mean, what happens when you're panting for something? There's a, there's a desperation, isn't there? I think that's one of our struggles in the West is that we don't have a desperation for God. We're just kind of, we just kind of go along and we're more desperate about the football game, fishing, hunting, golf. I mean, you name it. We're desperate for those things, aren't we? But we just don't have this desire so often for God and His glory. We'll say it. Hey, we're all about God's glory. We're all about being disciples that make disciples. Sounds really good. Looks good on a t-shirt. But are we living it? Is, is, this what, is this what really, really embodies who we are? Because if you keep your relationship with Christ at the surface level, do you know this? That your relationships with others will also be at the surface level. When you just keep Jesus kind of at arm's length and that relationship begins to grow stale, because there's not a pursuit of the harvest. We're just like the farmer who buys all the seed and just hangs out in the lazy boy for six months watching ESPN. When we keep him at the surface level, our relationships with others are surface. But have you noticed this, that when we go deep with Jesus, here's what happens. We begin to see him for who he is. We begin to see us for who we really are. And now what happens here, here it is. Here's the outflow, the byproduct, as we now move over to our relationships horizontally. Here's what happens. We now begin to go deeper with those people. That's what the Bible says. Confess your sin to one another. Revival without repentance is not revival. But when we begin to confess our sin, when you come to me and I go to you, and man, I said, man, I'm struggling, man. I, I need your prayers. I need your help, man. Will you, like, pause whatever you're doing right now. Will you intercede for me? Man, what happens to those two brothers, those two sisters? Now, there's, there's real koinonia, isn't there? I mean, now we're tracking. But as long as we just kind of keep running through the show of the Christian life, there will never be any depth. And what happens is at some point it's going to be exposed for the charade that it is. That's why the action step is so important. Here it is. Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, I will daily strive to put self on the shelf. Action step. Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Who's enabling? Me, you? No, it's the Holy Spirit. I will daily strive to put self on the shelf. Matter of fact, Paul even said it like this in 1 Corinthians that I die daily. Like this wasn't a, hey, I die once and I'm in the club, secret handshake, you know, let's, let's all pass out the green jackets that we now wear because we're all in the club together. No, he said, I die daily. He's crucifying the enemy of self every day. And that's why one of the tactics of the enemy, I believe, is to keep people busy. That's what we do, don't we? I mean, we fill our schedules. Think about how that's changed in the last 30 years. There used to be nothing going on on Sundays. Now there's everything going on on Sunday, man. Let me just keep people busy. Just busy, 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 busy. Won't be pursuing Christ, and now we have this mass chaos on our hands. And by the way, that busy acronym is so key, isn't it? Busy. Being under Satan's yoke. Busy. Busy. Busy, busy. Do you have peace? Truthfully, do you have peace? Like where you're sitting right now, I don't care how much money you have, you can't buy peace. Do you have peace? Let me ask it like this. What is it costing you and me to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus right now? What's it costing us? Like, what's it costing us right now to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? What's it costing you? What's it costing me? Do you know right now, in the time that we've gathered together, there will be multiple people that have been executed for their faith somewhere around the world. Executed. Like, brutally tortured and executed. It's costing them dearly. Truth be told, it doesn't cost us much of anything, does it? Until, until we're all in for Jesus and you will begin to face the pushback. Who do you face the pushback from? Those that are also in for Jesus? No. 
you face the pushback from those who claim to be all in for Jesus, but aren't really all in for Jesus. Why? Because now there's light in their life showing on their darkness and men hate the light because it exposes their wicked deeds. And those are fighting words of the flesh. You will be abandoned by family, friends, even church people, co-workers, when you are all in for Jesus. Does that mean that you pull back? Of course you don't. Even if none go with you, still follow Christ. You say, why is this so important? Well, it reminds me of, of what Tim Keller said. He said it like this. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and be moved by it. Moved by who God is and what He has done for you. When's the last time you were moved by God's greatness? I don't often find many people that have been moved by God's greatness, to be truthful. You know, we continue to keep Jesus at the surface level. We'll continue to reap surface level interaction with Him. Have you ever thought about this closing thought? There's a time to live and there's a time to die. And every person in the church house today, unless the Lord returns, will make an exit from this life. And one millisecond inside eternity is either going to be a glorious moment or an uh uh-oh moment. Because there are not any do-overs. You know, one of the poems that I love to read often is this poem here by Linda Ellis called The Dash. I want to close with this as you think about where's your life headed? Like really, where are you going in life? Do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you have contentment? Here's what she penned many years ago. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what matters most of all was the little dash between those years. For the dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is actually worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? What matters is how we live in love because we never know how much time can still be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you, would I, be proud of the things they say about how we lived our dash? Question as we close. What are you doing with your dash? Every person will have to give an account to Jesus on that day about what we're doing with our dash. Does Jesus own your dash? Or do you own your dash? Because when you own your dash, you'll never have the peace you're craving. But when Jesus owns your dash, you'll have a peace and a joy that confounds the world. And let me rest assured on this. Let me rest you on this. You will have those come against you. Our job is not to please man. Our job is to please God. Amen. Father, we love you. We come before you. God, I just pray that the Holy Spirit is all over our hearts today. God, you didn't call us to be partially in. You've called us to be all in for your glory. God, just move in a way only you can move. 
Help us to be gripped by your glory. Don't allow us, if we're struggling with being partially in, God, I pray, don't allow us to continue down that path going nowhere. But God, I pray today will be a day of change. Holy Spirit, remove the blinders, remove the rebellion, remove the selfishness, God. Do a work only you can do in this moment. And God will be quick to give you all the praise, to give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.